in the U.S. this week, I don't know if you know this, but in the United States this week we have Thanksgiving, right? That's our, that's our, one of our big, big holidays. And so I know, I know a lot of countries do this. And uh, you tend, when you go to do it, kind of around harvest time, right? The, sort of the old, uh, older times when the harvest would come in, the food would be there. You'd thank God for all he provided through the, the work of the summer and the, the work in the fields. And the blessing of God really would be evident in those times, right? You had, uh, you had a new uh, livestock maybe that was born and nursed, made it through the summer. You had these piles and piles of food that were available. And you could just see that God had poured his blessing out on your family or on your village or on your towns. And so for me as an American, it's a little bit hard to go through this week, right, this, uh, this week in November and not be thinking of, about Thanksgiving and not be thinking about what it means uh, to us. For, for me, probably my favorite holiday because you have to do a lot of preparation, right? I mean, still, we have things like Independence Day on the 4th of July, and people will come or not come, right? In this summer. We'll have Labor Day, and maybe we have a picnic, and people come or not come just based on whether they feel like it or not. But still there's a bit of pressure in your family to be there for Thanksgiving, for a holiday like Thanksgiving. So there is a bit of pressure. People go through the extra effort to get together, but we don't have all the pressure that comes with Christmas, right? I don't know if you... Uh, experience this with your family, you've got all this travel and you feel like you spend 15 minutes here and drive an hour and spend 15, 20 minutes there and you buy gifts for people and then you're the whole family, do they like it, do they not like it, or you're getting a gift and you open it and think, I really don't like this, but I have to somehow fake it on my face, right? I feel like help that person believe that. So I feel like Thanksgiving, you're together, you have some nice special stuff that happens, it's very traditional, and yet you don't have the same degree of pressure maybe that we can feel about Christmas sometimes. So that, that's one of the reasons that I really I really like it anyway while I'm, while I'm in America. So before we, we finish Acts, and before we uh, spend a few weeks looking at Christmas and working through Advent, which we're going to start next week, uh, I thought we would just take uh, this kind of odd week that's in between, no special guest speaker, no uh, Christmas stuff, uh, just to take this week and think a little bit about thankfulness, to think a little bit about gratitude, and really how fitting it is for us as God's people to just be mindful of the things that He provides for us, right? Just for us to stop, to take count, to, to um, um, really... Uh, seize that moment to be appreciative for these things that He prepares for us. And so we want to be people who are aware of His blessing, and we want to be people who are uh, thankful and they enjoy that blessing as well. So as I was thinking about Thanksgiving and uh, just being thankful this week, I, I thought, what's the opposite of that, right? So I started digging into these dictionaries, and one thing I was really surprised about as I was looking at thankful, appreciative, appreciative, uh, gratitude, things like that. When you try to get the opposite of those words, what, what you would get is a lot of not words. So it would be ungrateful or unthankful or thankless or unappreciative. And so it wasn't really, uh, I didn't find a place where uh, people defined what the absence of gratitude was beyond that. It would be like, well, you know what gratitude is? He didn't have that. That's that's sort of the that's sort of the picture. So I really wanted to um, 
try to define this a little bit because I think at the, at the heart of thankfulness there comes for us a peace because we trust Christ. So we have this we have this trust in Christ, which provides us peace, which then allows thankfulness to flow out. And I think that the same is really true for the opposite, because when we are constantly seeking our own good, right? We uh, are looking out for number one. That's kind of the phrase that you would use for that in America. I'm looking out for number one, right? I'm the most important. I'm looking out for me. When we do that, we rarely find rest for our lives. We rarely find rest. We don't find rest, and when we don't have rest, we really don't have gratitude. So what I'm going to try to argue today is that the opposite of thanksgiving isn't just being unthankful, but the opposite of thanksgiving is being selfish. Right? So thanksgiving, we have selfish on the other end. When our, our great desire is for ourselves, we're never satisfied. Right? We don't find things to be grateful for because we're always wishing that we had something else. Maybe then the opposite would be this, striving. The opposite would be striving, right? We're wishing we had just one more thing. And that's why I love Thanksgiving in the U.S. as opposed to Christmas. Because all of us, especially if we have children, we know what it's like to go through this present stage when they rip it open and there's a pile of things and there's trash everywhere. And the kid looks at you and says, what else? What else? You say, that, that's it, man, that's, a, that's, all, that's all, sorry, but that's all we got. So this kind of picture of striving, of just wishing we had one more thing, and that thing typically is out of reach. I thought about this uh, picture here, and just for me as a, as a Kentuckian, this kind of sums it up. I don't know if you've ever spent any, any time around cattle, but where we live in Kentucky, there's cattle, more cattle than people in our in our uh, home district, basically. And you see that kind of all the time. Where you drive by and think, cow, there is an entire field of grass where you are. And yet he's thinking, oh, if I can only have that grass, right? It's sort of where the, the saying, I think, comes from the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, right? Like, oh, if I could just have the thing that was just on the other side. And then I'd be, then I'd be happy. Then I could find some rest. If I just had that thing, then I could finally... And then I finally have that, that peace I'm looking for. So the opposite, not just, we're not striving. We want to be people who are thankful. And so I think we get a really positive example of that in the life of King David. This is not a place that you typically would say, oh, Thanksgiving, that makes me think of Psalm 23. But I believe it's a great place for us to think about Thanksgiving, right? We, we, we're probably most... Uh, used to hearing Psalm 23 at a funeral, although I personally don't think that it's fitting, really, all that fitting for a funeral. It, just, it happens to have the word death in it, but that's really about it. But if you have a funeral in the U.S., a Christian funeral, you have a funeral, uh, we generally then load everything up and drive in a big procession to the to the cemetery, and then you set everything up at the cemetery, and then at the cemetery, the pastor is expected to stand at the foot of the coffin and read, Psalm 23. And I think it is comforting. I just don't think it's the... They're, they're much better things for us as believers to think about when we're turning to death. But uh, it's, it's, not, it's, again, it's not bad. But I, I want us to think about it away from the death part today really to think about gratitude. Here's what I want to see today. Three things. Thankful for provision. Right? I mean, these all peace. Thankful for provision. Thankful for protection. And then thankful for 
the promise of God. Thankful for provision, thankful for protection, and thankful for the promise. So let's read Psalm 23 together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley in the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we thank you for incredible words penned by David how many thousands of years ago. And Lord, still, they just resonate with us as your people. They're just true, and they speak to our hearts, Lord, in what really uh, typically are the most difficult times. And I pray today that you would help us to see this psalm as a real place where we can find peace, and in that peace, we can be grateful for the things that you're doing. Lord, as a people, as the hymn says, we are prone to wander. Lord, we're, we're just so drawn to busyness. And the world would constantly tell us to be distracted. The world would constantly say, you need this one more thing. So we pray that instead you would help us just in this place, this week, just to find some peace. And we pray that you give real direction for our lives. And we pray that this psalm would just resonate in us and then we would resound to the praise of your glorious grace. So we thank you for the day that we have together. We pray that you would bless the, uh, the walking through the teaching of your word. Lord, help me to decrease that you might increase in this place. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's the first thing. Thankful for provision. I just want to read those few verses again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not wander. He's going to read one through three. Thankful for provision. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So the first thing that we see is David is getting his relationship with God in the proper order. The Lord is his shepherd. The Lord's his shepherd, right? David's not his own shepherd. David's a king. So David is literally the shepherd for an entire nation. And he's saying, I'm not my own shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord's his shepherd. And I believe that's the key to the gratitude that flows through this whole psalm. So David confesses that God is in control of his life. And because God is in control of his life, David is free to say, I shall not want. I shall not want. That little phrase doesn't mean that David doesn't have any desires. It means that the, the desires that he has, God has met. Right? I was looking at just different verses and how they translated uh, the New Living Translation. But I, I really kind of like just for being kind of casual and it's approachable and it's um, in the way that it's written. It says this. He says where the ESV says, I shall not want. The New Living Translation says, I have all that I need. I have all that I need. The Lord's my shepherd. I have all that I need. The NIV says, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. And then even in the message says this, I don't need a thing. I don't need a thing. Right? I don't know about your life, but, but week in and week out, 
My life is not marked by me sitting satisfied saying, the woodland shepherd, I've got everything that I need. I'm much more marked by thinking, the Lord's my shepherd. Oh, I wish I had this one more thing, but then I think I can be satisfied. So David explains, not only does he have all that he needs, but that God has provided for him this abundant, peaceful place to be. It's this green pasture with still water, right? If you're a sheep, a green pasture with still water is just about the best place in the world you can be. Plenty of food, there's plenty of water, there's not this kind of constant threat of, uh, of uh, destruction that would come from outside. This is a still, calming kind of place. There's no rushing in this place that God has provided. It's, it's got the food and it's got the water and it's got the peace and it's got comfort, but God, it says, doesn't just provide for David's physical needs, he provides for his spirit as well, because he gives, uh, according to verse 3, restoration in David's soul. He says, the Lord gives a place that restores my soul, and is marked by obedience, right? I tend to think, and we tend, I think, to think about walking in righteousness as something that's, that's, that requires incredible effort on our part. I have to get up early. I have to stay up late. I have to constantly be looking. I have to be doing, 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 doing so that God will be pleased with me. But I think that David here is picturing righteousness in the same kind of place that he's picturing lying down and he's picturing this still water and having his soul restored. I think that the righteousness that God is working in David and that, David, and that what God will work in us is part of what God provides. Food and water and physical rest and spiritual restoration and righteousness. I believe they go together. These are works that God does in our life. And it's really hard to feel ungrateful when you're cared for like that. Right? It's, it's almost impossible to be appreciative when you're constantly striving for more and more and more and feeling like you're missing out on something. Right? Even in ministry, we can look and think, oh, that, oh, that church has more students coming than we have. Why do they have more students coming than we have? We need to do something so we can get more students. Why do they have more old people? We need to have more old people. Why do they have so many Koreans? We want more Koreans in our church, right? And we're just thinking, well, if I can have more, if I can have one more thing, then we'd be satisfied. Even in church, right? Don't we just sing more? five songs instead of four songs, or six instead of five. We just had that thing. But instead, we, we, uh, we want to find this peace. The, the feeling of needing one more thing steals gratitude for us, and really, in us, it breeds disappointment. Because we set it up and say, well, if I have to have one more thing and we don't get it, we're going to be disappointed. So, be thankful for God's provision. That's what David does in the beginning. Then, secondly, thankful for his protection. Verse 4 and 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. We're not, thank we're not full of this uh, thanksgiving because our lives are completely sealed off from danger. Right? That's kind of a picture that I will take sometimes. I mean, my life is going 100% the way that I want it to go. Therefore, I'm completely protected by God. Therefore, I can really be thankful. David at this point is not. Probably, I think, this song was written while they're fighting Absalom. I don't know how many of us have ever been in a position where our oldest son is trying to kill us. 
Right? David's been in this place in his life where Saul tried to kill him, different people tried to kill him. He's had to act crazy at different times and get asylum somewhere. His own children tried to kill him so that they can take his place of power. David's not sealed off from danger, and he's not been sealed off from disappointment. But he still sees God as a Lord over those things. Right? David was experienced in the valley of the shadow of death. But he had also experienced God's physical protection in that place. And so he says, this is what's amazing to me, he says in verse 4, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. There's a book, uh, Philip, a guy named Philip Keller wrote, and this, I just love this book. It's called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I don't know if you've ever read it, or I, I really highly recommend it to you. He spent some time working as a shepherd, later he was a pastor. And so in the book, he, he just... It's been the whole book looking at just this one psalm. But he explains in the book that a shepherd has two tools that they keep with them. A rod and a staff. A rod and a staff. And the rod was a shorter a shorter kind of piece of wood that he would, he would work and really become almost an expert throwing so that he could kick things that were trying to come. So say the wolf is trying to come in, he could take the rod and he could throw it and hit it. Also, if he had been calling to a sheep, hey, come back, come back, come back, come back, and the sheep doesn't come back, he would take the rod and he would hit the sheep with it, right? If the sheep's too far, he would just sling it and he would hit the sheep, and then he would go and get it, and he would bring it back, right? This is a beautiful picture, right? This thing, this one comes, and then also goes and gets and brings back the sheep and says, stay with me. This is the, this is the safe place. So the shepherd would be really uh, would really be expert at protecting the sheep with that rod. Then he also has the staff. This is kind of the thing that we normally think about, right? The big shepherd with the, the hook at the top. And he could use that just for directing the sheep. Not that way, this way, not that way, this way. Pull them along. Even to the point where he could get that hook and put it around the sheep and drag it where he wanted it to go. So this is the picture that David's saying. Your rod, like your physical protection uh, in my life over evil people or over evil things or over things that would come in and destroy me, your rod and your staff, so your protection and this thing that you can do to guide me the place you want me to go, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your discipline comforts me, Lord. Your direction, your sticking me in a place you want me to be, it comforts me. It's a beautiful kind of picture. He protected and he guided David. So imagine if we had that kind of peace. If we realized that the Lord really is our shepherd, that he really is watching over us, not just as people, like the whole world of people, or all the believers in the world, or all the church, or all that, that individually, God was taking an interest in and guiding and protecting your individual life, because he was your shepherd. Imagine, imagine the kind of peace that would get you just to eat and rest and be in that spot where God has you right now. What if he was standing over himself, guarding you, and, and even when you're uh, in the midst of a difficult situation that you're, you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Because I'm not saying that we don't have difficulties. I'm saying that in those difficulties, when we're facing death, when we're having these things that the Lord is guiding us and he's helping us, right? so that we can be comforted in the middle of those horrible kind of situations. We don't have to be people who just 
wring their hands, right? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? We're filled with worry. Instead, we can look and say, this thing is too big for me, right? I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you just, where, where the prayer that you could pray was, Lord, there is no way that I can bear this, right? There's no way that I can bear this. That's when the Lord does His best work. But he said, there's no way that I can bear this. And we just allow him to do the shepherding that we so desperately need. Verse 5 talks about this, this, this protection that was just common, right? In those days, you would have a, an army come against a city, and they would sort of lay siege to it. There are some uh, just horrible pictures of that in uh, 2 Kings, where people are... Um, Yeah, it's in 2 Kings 6 and 7 and 8. horrible pictures where people are eating a donkey's head and they're, they're selling bird dung in the market. There's just no food at all. Even in 2 Kings, they start to eat their own babies, right? This is the kind of thing that happened when you know, a siege was laid, laid against you. They would starve you out. And David is saying, even though those enemies are surrounding me, right, this is verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But David's, David's not looking at the, the thing that's coming against him and saying, that's ultimately going to cause my ruin. David's saying, even though they're coming against me, a table's going to spread for me. I've got everything that I need. His head is anointed with oil, and he says, my cup overflows. So rather than worrying as the, as the enemies come against him, David's remembering this. He's preparing for me. He has chosen me. That's a whole picture of anointed in the Bible. Someone would come and say, you're going to be the king. They would pour oil on their head. So that's the picture. You're anointed. You're chosen. David says, he anoints my head with oil. I'm his chosen one. And he says, my cup, this cup's not just full. He says, my cup is overflowing, right? He has more than he Needs. And so I think when we can be in this place where we can see that our walk with God isn't just meeting our own needs, but it's really intended to overflow, then we're in that place where we're getting more than we can ask or imagine. God doesn't just provide. Like we saw in the first part of the song, He protects also. And even more than that, He's thought about our future. This is verse 6. Thankful for the promise. Verse 6 says this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So David ends with this praise about how God will continue to work in his life. He has these two beautiful thoughts. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amazing thoughts. Amazing things. Because he knows that these things are going to be with him. So how is it that David can have confidence like that? This is, I think, it really is important for us that we're going to be grateful. How can David have that kind of confidence? I know that goodness and mercy will always follow me. I know that I will always dwell in the house of the Lord. How can he have that confidence? He has that because he is basing it not on his own character, but on God's character. Not on his own ability, but on God's ability, right? How many of us can be in this place can be in a sense where we can guarantee that we would never fall away from Christ. Right? I don't know about you, but I can imagine a circumstance where I would just think, Lord, if this is what it's all about, then I'm out. Right? I can picture in my mind a place where I would say, it's just too much. 
It's just too much. I'm not going to pay it. But I can't imagine, I can't at all imagine a place where God does that to me. Right? We have this picture in uh, Isaiah where he says, even if a mother could, could forget a baby that's nursing at her breast, I would never forget about him. Right? And we would look at that and think, how can a mother forget the baby, the very baby that she's nursing at that moment? How can she forget? And the Lord says, that, that's, that's possible, but I'll never forget about you. So many people really struggle with this idea that uh, once they've come to Christ, that's, that somehow later they can become lost again, right? You can be saved and then lost and saved and then lost. And I, just, I don't struggle with that. I just don't think that at all. I think that once Christ saves you, that you really are saved. And one of the many reasons that I would believe that doctrine is that people like David can write in the Bible and proclaim with so much confidence that they know that they know that they will be dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. The confidence that the Christ follower has is unmatched in any other worldview, right? You strike that up? You strike that conversation up with your uh, Muslim Uber driver or with your Buddhist Uber driver or with your Hindu friend and you know what you're going to hear? No confidence at all. Hope so. Hope so. Hope so. Hope so. Hope so. And we can say, I know for sure I know for sure that if I die at this moment, that I will immediately be in the presence of Christ, rejoicing with Him forever. Absolute confidence. That's either true or He is not worth following. Those are actually the two options there. So the confidence of the Christ followers unmatched. We do not hope that God will save us. We know that He will save us. And so this gives us the real basis for how we can be thankful people. It's the character of God Himself. He never changes. God never changes. He doesn't shift. He doesn't forget. He doesn't write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and then erase it out and then write it in and erase it out and write it in based on how you're doing. He never forgets you. He never forsakes you. He never will leave you. He can't. So David knows this, that God's mercy will always be with him. David knows that he will definitely dwell in the house of the Lord forever because God made him that promise. Let me just read to you from Deuteronomy 31. Really quick, this is Deuteronomy 31, 6. Where the Lord's speaking to Israel, right? In Deuteronomy 31. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. Then down to verse 6, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. That's a, that's a promise that David's living on. That the Lord is never going to leave us or forsake us. So, let's just talk a couple of things about application that will be finished. So, would you be thankful, right? Would you be thankful? Here's the first thing that I think we would have to do. First thing, make the Lord your shepherd. I, I would say this. You will not be satisfiable. You will not be satisfiable. Being this, it, it will be impossible to satisfy you as long as you are working to shepherd your own life. As long as you are in control, you will always be hungry. Your days will be marked with unfulfilled desires. You will always be longing for one more thing. Right? You get to the place where you're saying, I wish I had a younger spouse. I wish I had a stronger looking husband. Right? That's what age is. We, we get to be in our mid-40s, right? At least I was never I was never fit. So she can say, I wish I had a husband that was still fit. I've always been 
I wish I had a younger spouse. I wish I had a better kid. I wish I had more money. I wish I had a better condo. I wish I had a better pay package. I wish I had, wish I had, I wish I had. And here's the end. You'll just be like the hungry ghost that eats and eats and eats and is never satisfied. As long as you're the shepherd of your own soul, it does not matter what you pour in, it will never be enough. And so would you be thankful? Make Jesus Christ your shepherd. If you need thankful, submit your life to Christ. Stop working to, to please Him. Receive the forgiveness that He longs to pour on you. Give up hoping to try to figure out all of this life. And say, Lord, it's beyond me. But I trust you. I trust that you went to the cross to pay for my sins. I trust that you were buried. I trust that you were raised again according to the Scripture. I trust that I can't save myself. And if I have any hope, it's because of you, Jesus. I, I trust you. And so lead me. Lead me. That's what I think you need to do. First, if you want to be thankful, make the Lord your shepherd. Secondly, you have to look at what God has provided. It's easy for us to read David saying, my cup overflows, and then focus on our lives all the reasons that's, that, that that's not true. We can look and say, well, surely David's cup overflowed. He was the king, right? He, he had a heart after God. He did this, he did that. God was, God was with him all the time. David wasn't married to my spouse. David didn't have my kids. David didn't have my job. Of course his life was overflowing. Here's what, just look at Ecclesiastes, if you can find that. It's after, after Psalms, we get Proverbs. Right after Proverbs, it should be Ecclesiastes, right? People, people say sometimes Ecclesiastes is a little bit depressing, but I don't think so. I can give you these verses later. I'm just going to read. I'm going to read three or four of them. We look at we look at our lives and say, "My cup, my cup's not overflowing." So this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes, I believe, it was Solomon. I think this is what he would say. Ecclesiastes two twenty four. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. Eat, drink, and find enjoyment in your toil. Then in uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. 3.22, so I saw that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Over in chapter 5, verse 18, he says it again. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. This is love. This is, what, this is what God's prepared for him. Here's the thing. Soon enough, our kids are going to be gone. Right? You're parenting now. Soon enough, your kids are going to be gone. Your spouse is going to be old. Your work is going to be finished. Those days are coming soon enough. And so when we're chasing after what we want for Sunday, we're going to find that we lost the very best days that we had because we didn't get focused on just being peaceful and finding a place where we can rest and be thankful. Next year, next year, next year, next year, and you lose your whole life because you're always waiting for someday. Old folks used to say this, count your blessings. Count your blessings. And you, you can't do that unless you just stop and, and think through what God has provided for you. So what do we be thankful? This is the second point. I'm saying 
Look at what God has provided for you. So just stop and say, I have a spouse that loves me, or I have kids that love me, or I have a place that I'm working and God's using that to provide for my family, or I have this or I have that, whatever it is, that you can just stop and say, what has God provided you? As long as we're focusing on the things that, that we feel like are bad about our life, we're not going to be grateful. But if we'll stop and just look and think, I'm healthy, right? And even we just break it down, I can drink water, right? I just, anytime that I want, I can just go and get water out of the tap. That's not the, that's not the case for many, many people in the world. We just have, we just, our cup overflows. The problem is we just, we think it doesn't because we're so busy focusing on other things. So, would you be thankful? Third part. Get your head out of the newspaper or get off Facebook, right? If that's what you need to do. Because if we don't, if, we, if we're fo- focused on the news and on the Facebook feed, all these different kinds of things, we, we will lose sight of the protection of God in our life, right? We read the news and we're like, oh, what's going to happen, right? I'm in this group with a bunch of people in JB and yesterday was just, I mean, it was just like everybody is on the edge of their seat waiting for something bad to happen. Wait, no, wait, well, wait, they're going to cause havoc. They're going to cause havoc. The Richards, the youngsters, Richards, the youngsters. I just think, there's no peace in that. What are you doing? So, we're just, maybe for us it's different. Maybe it's ISIS, or maybe it's whatever the danger is in your typhoons in the Philippines, or the, the, the new president that they have there, or Trump, or any of these kind of things that you would look at and say, what's causing all this turmoil? When we think about ISIS, when we think about Europe, and what's going to happen when Germany has their election? What about France? What about stories and just create such turmoil. And so if we get our focus off of that and get our focus onto the protection of God that is happening in our lives, I think we can have some gratitude. Here's what here's here's I think. We are always apt, this is, a, this is a phrase, at least in the southern United States, I don't know if it translates around the world. We are always apt to think, man, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. You heard that phrase before? I don't have any idea what it means. But whenever things get sort of bad, is that true? People say, especially old people, oh, the world is just going to hell in a handbasket. It just means like things are out of control, right? And I would say this, things in our world right now are no worse than they've ever been. I just don't think they're any worse than they've ever been. But I would say this, forgive me if this doesn't, if this doesn't land right, okay? Things are not necessarily any worse than they've ever been, but we're just way weaker people than our grandparents were. I just think we're way weaker, right? I don't fetch water. I've never had to black out my windows. I've just, I've just never had to endure to come walk to school. I just didn't have to do any of these kind of things, right? I get upset because I, I sat through the kids' program at school last night, and I have no cell service. I think, oh, I could be reading ESPN right now. I could be reading about sports, but I don't have any phone service at this place. I hate this school, right? That's what I'm starting to think. Why did they build the school in a better spot? I'm just weaker than my grandparents were. If we think about life's challenges in the terms of the God who is shepherding us, then ISIS is not is not really that frightening. I mean, it's probably two years ago, I was looking at my Twitter feed, I just looked at my followers, which I don't really recommend. But I looked at my Twitter followers, and there was one person, all oh, it was in Arabic, and then uh, there were just all these kind of pro-ISIS things that this person had retweeted and they were excited about. 
And I seriously thought about completely just closing the account. And I just thought, man, does ISIS, does ISIS know who I am? Like, like ISIS is not concerned about me and the world. We just have to get our focus off that stuff and start thinking about how is God protecting me, right? Even if we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death with a family member or a close friend, we can remember this. The goodness of God is going to be there. The goodness of God is going to be there. We don't have to fear evil. If you are in Christ, God is with you forever. That's the truth about my family. If they're in Christ, God is with them forever. We'll be thankful when we stop focusing on all these circumstances and get our focus turned on Jesus. Last thing, number four. You'd be thankful, then I would say try to get an eternal perspective on your life. Try to get an eternal perspective on your life. It's been said that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, but spiritual beings having a human experience. Have you heard that before? We're spiritual beings having a human experience. I'm going to live forever, but I'm not always going to live forever in this body on this earth. Not like this. And so we're just in this place where we're, where we're dealing with things that are eternal in nature, right? The, the writer of Ecclesiastes says this over and over, striving after the wind, striving after the wind, striving after the wind. When we're chasing our own happiness, it's like we're trying to just grab a handful of smoke. We're just not going to get it. So I would say if you, if you just take the biblical view of what your life is like in James chapter 4, James chapter 4, verse 14, 13, it says this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, right? Come now, you who say tomorrow morning I'll get up and go into Singapore and spend some time there and trade and make a profit. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's the picture that the Bible gives us of our human existence on this planet. You're a mist, and as long as you try to grab that mist, you are going to be unsuccessful. We appear, and then we vanish. But listen, we're not hopeless people because we are on an eternal journey with God. We're spiritual beings having this human experience. We're, we're, we're spiritual, and we can invest our lives in eternal matters. And in Matthew 6 it says, if we'll invest our lives in eternal matters, we will be free from worry. That's our own heart. If you say, you'll be free from worry. We have the opportunity to bring other people into a right relationship with God through Jesus. Right? Through the book and with our family, family, friends, and other people that we know and say, that person, because of their health or because of their situation, they are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. If we really believe that they have two options upon their death, then we want to pour ourselves out, loving those people so that they can come to understand Christ, so that they can be saved. So we can have this eternal perspective. Uh, the fact that I don't have self-service sometimes, or the fact that my, I'll get a flat tire now and again, or the fact that people get sick, right? The fact that they're real, real problems. Uh, my dad has blood cancer and been fighting that for a few years. I talked to him Friday. I said, how are you doing? And he just said, well, you know. And he gave some sort of answer that, that just let me, that let, that was not a positive answer, right? He just, he won't generally say, not, you know, I don't feel too good. But he'll just say, well, you know. And so then I think, okay, that's, that's, that's about a negative answer that I ever get from him. People have real, actual real problems. And I'm not, I'm not dismissing that. But I'm saying, if we take an <coughs> eternal perspective, 
even those kind of things, they have a different, they have a different weight to them. So in the coming weeks, we're going to be turning our eyes to Christmas. But as we do that, let's, let's be people who do it freed up more and more from worry and from striving. Let's just be a faith family that is really taking stock, that's growing in thankfulness, that's uh, overflowing into the lives of the people around us. But what if we could build a community of love here in this place that would just be a light to the entire community of Jehovah's I mean, I don't, honestly, I do not think that I can do that. But I think that Christ can do that in us. So what if God use us that sort of way? Here's what we have waiting for us. Peace, restoration, righteousness. So we're willing to get ourselves off the throne and put Christ on the throne where he belongs to be. If we'll make him the shepherd of our souls, I believe in that place, we'll be able to find this peace and this rest. And from there, gratitude can flow out. And I'm just really not sure what can happen after that. But I'm... I'm I am pretty sure that it's going to be that it's going to be amazing. Let me pray for you, Father. We we do thank you that you love us, and Lord, while we are uh, living sacrifices that continually crawl off the altar, uh, we we just we we admit that we are uh, lacking, and you are perfect. And so we pray that you would help us to be people, Lord, who. Uh, really do weigh that heaviness and the weight and the difficulty of this world. Father, it is no small matter for so many of these ladies to be away from their children so that they can work and provide. And I have to confess so that I do not know the weight of that that rests on their hearts when they put their heads down at night. Father, that we're far away from family members who are sick and struggling and even possibly near death in some cases. That's a, that's, a, that's a huge weight for us to bear. But we believe that you've led us to the place that you want us to be. That, Father, you've given us a space where we can rest and trust in you and we can find not just food and drink and uh, the physical rest that we need, but restoration of our own souls and then the ability to walk in righteousness for, for your name's sake so that people might praise Christ about what you've done in us. And so we ask that your, uh, just your spirit would minister in these situations that are so difficult and heavy and, uh, Lord, that are really heartbreaking. And we pray that you would help us just to be uh, people who recognize that our cups really do overflow. God thinks that we can be people who say, we're weak, we're weak, we're weaker than people used to be, and, and we just we just admit it, and, and, and Lord, we just, we don't need to be strong. We need you to be strong on our behalf. And so we just pray that you would be, uh, be that for us. Would you protect us, and would you lead us where you want us to be, and would you uh, guide us, and would you prepare for us in the presence of those who would do us harm. Would you help us to really come to understand what it means that we're your chosen people, that we've been anointed by you, called and redeemed through Christ. And Father, if there are any that are here today who would say, my relationship with God is nothing like what you've been, what you've been talking about, then I pray that today they would be saved. Lord, like a prodigal, they would raise their hands up out of the pig trough that this world is and say, if I just go home, my dad, forgive me. 
servants eat better than I'm eating now. And so, Lord, would you call us away from these uh, broken cisterns and this, this uh, filth that we just have become accustomed to consuming. And instead, help us to be people who find rest and grace and peace because we're trusting in you. And I pray that we would then overflow in gratitude in a way that really does point people to Jesus. God, thank you for not making this about our own work, but for making it about your grace. And we ask that you would deal with people even today. Save people that need to be saved today. Restore those who feel far today. And then give us a great week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.